Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoterra Nerd Podcast, episode 101, in which Very Honored Frater RC and I discuss many things. Uh, originally, the uh, I, I think the intended focus was going to be uh, Dark Knight of the Soul and the Practicus, but we ended up kind of going all over the place. The interview, uh, or rather conversation, it's going to be on his podcast as well as this podcast. Um, I've decided to break it up into two episodes rather than expecting people to listen to, you know, with my intro and outro, a three and a half hour episode uh i'll come out with a you know one hour 45 minute or however long this turns out to be episode uh now and then in a few days or a week or something i'll i'll come out with the second one but first the real rosen <laughs> so uh i have a bunch of different segments you can find them at edward dash reap.com forward slash vhfraterbt forward slash segments dot html or there's there's a hyperlink um on the episode description if you click where it says fama fraternitatis you can read all about the segments so this is uh the fama fraternitatis as recited in the original uh, I think it's not technically old German, or but like middle modern, you know, uh, whatever they were speaking in the 1600s. Um, and uh, Frater I.T., uh, so I'm, I'm so grateful that he recorded this uh, in its entirety in its original German uh, so that I can play it um, alongside me reciting it in the original English translation. So the English translation that came out in the 1620s or whenever whatever it was so for those who don't know this is the basically the foundational document for all the rosicrucian orders um there's there's a variety of rosicrucian orders these days Uh, my experience with it was in the form of the inner order of a golden dawn system usually in golden dawn systems uh they lead to they lead to the r at ac the rose rube at ore crucis which is uh red rose and gold cross at at like the seventh grade so if it were if it were middle school and high school then you know uh college is uh is the rose rube at ore crucis first let's cue the legend of zelda music there we go and uh, I will get to today's reading. Um, I've recited from the beginning in previous episodes, starting in episode 8, and the most recent recital was in the most recent episode that uh, Fred R.C. and I did, which was a few years ago, actually, but it was only a few episodes ago. In einem solchen löblichen Wandel ging ihr Leben dahin. After such a most laudable sort, they did spend their lives. But although they were free from all diseases and pain, yet, notwithstanding, they could not live and pass their time appointed of God. The first of this fraternity which died, and that in England, was I.O., as Brother C., long before had foretold him, he was very expert and well-learned in Kabbalah, as his book called H. Witnesseth. In England, 
He is much spoken of, and chiefly because he cured a young Earl of Norfolk of the leprosy. They had concluded that as much as possibly could be, their burial place should be kept secret, as at this day it is not known unto us what is become of some of them. Yet everyone's place was supplied with a fit successor. But this we will confess publicly by these presents to the honor of God, that what secret soever we have learned out of the book M, although before our eyes we uphold the image and pattern of all the world, yet are there not shown unto us our misfortunes, nor hour of death, the which only is known to God himself, who thereby would have us keep in a continual readiness, but hereof more in our confession, where we do set down 37 reasons, wherefore we now do make known our fraternity, and proffer such high mysteries freely, without constraint and reward. Also, we do promise more gold than both the Indies bring to the King of Spain, for Europe is with child, and will bring forth a strong child, who shall stand in need of a great godfather's gift. After the death of I.O., Brother R.C. rested not, but, as soon as he could, called the rest together, and then, as we suppose, his grave was made. Although hitherto we, who were the latest, did not know when our loving father R.C. died, and had no more but the bare names of the beginners, and all their successors to us. Yet there came into our memory a secret, which, though dark and hidden, words and speeches of a hundred years, Brother A, the successor of D, who was the last and second row of succession, and had lived amongst many of us, did impart unto us the third row and succession. Otherwise, we must confess that after the death of the said A, none of us had in any matter known anything of Brother C.R., and of his first fellow brethren, than that which was extent of them in our philosophical bibliotheca, amongst which our axiomata was held for the chiefest, rota mundi, for the most artificial, and protheus, for the most profitable. Likewise, we do not certainly know if these of the second row have been of like wisdom as the first, and if they were admitted to all things. It shall be declared hereafter to the gentle reader not only what we have heard of the burial of R.C., but also it shall be made manifest publicly by the foresight, sufferance, and commandment of God, whom we most faithfully obey, that if we shall be answered discreetly and Christian-like, we will not be ashamed to set forth publicly in print our names and surnames, our meetings, or anything else that may be required at our hands. Now, the true and fundamental relation of the finding out of the high illuminated man of God, Frater CRC, is this. After that A in Gallia Narbonensi was deceased, there succeeded in his place our loving brother N.N. This man, after he had repaired unto us, 
to take the solemn oath of fidelity and secrecy, informed us bona fide that A had comforted him in telling him that this fraternity should ere long not remain so hidden, but should be to all the whole German nation helpful, needful, and commendable, of the which he was not in any wise in his estate ashamed. The year following, after he had performed his school rite and was minded now to travel, being for that purpose sufficiently provided with Fortunatus purse, he thought he being a good architect, to alter something of his building, and to make it more fit. In such renewing, he lighted upon the memorial table, which was cast of brass, and containeth all the names of the brethren, with some few other things. This he would transfer into another more fitting vault, for where or when Brother R.C. died, or in what country he was buried, was by our predecessors concealed and unknown unto us. In this table stuck a great nail, somewhat strong, so that when it was with force drawn out, it took with it an indifferent big stone out of the thin wall of plastering of the hidden door, and so unlooked for uncovered the door, whereat we did with great joy and longing throw down the rest of the wall, and cleared the door, upon which was written in great letters, Post senti vigentum annus putable, with the year of our Lord under it. Therefore we gave God thanks, and let it rest that same night, because first we would overlook our rota but we refer ourselves again to the confession, for what we here publish is done for the help of those that are worthy, but to the unworthy, God willing, it will be small profit. For like as our door was after so many years wonderfully discovered, also there shall he opened a door to Europe when the wall is removed which already doth begin to appear, and with great desire is expected of many. In the morning following we opened the door, and there appeared to our sight a vault of seven sides and seven corners, every side five foot broad, and the height of eight foot. Although the sun never shined in this vault, nevertheless, it was enlightened with another sun, which had learned this from the sun, and was situated in the upper part of the center of the siding. In the midst, instead of a tombstone, was a round altar, covered with a plate of brass, and thereon this engraven, ACRC, Hoc Universi Compendium Unus Mihi Sepulchrum Fici. Round about the first circle or brim stood Yeshua Mihi Omnia. In the middle were four figures enclosed in circles, whose circumscription was Nequaquam Vacuum Legis Yugum Libertas Evangelii Dei Intacta Gloria. This is all clear and bright, as also the seventh side and the two heptagons. So we kneeled down together and gave thanks to the soul-wise, soul-mighty, and soul-eternal God, who hath taught us more than all men's wits could have found out. Praised be his holy name.
very honored Freder RC, in addition to being uh, an old friend of mine, has become something of a prolific author of Golden Dawn related manuscripts that you can find for uh, the Kindle on Amazon. There's the Invocation of Ma'at, the Osriel Invocation, uh, the Harpocratesian Mysteries, the Ritual for Peace in Ulster, uh, there's uh, the Celtic Mysteries of W.B. Yeats, and uh, the Call of the Portal, and uh, Celtic Samhain Ceremony, Tetragrammaton, the Four-Lettered Name of God, Sacred Magic and the Klepot, um, and it goes on and on, and uh, in English as well as it looks like in Spanish, and uh, I don't know what other languages are available. But uh, but yeah, check out Freder RC on uh, Amazon, and of course he also has. I know he's he's had other podcasts with other names before, but the one that uh, that I'm familiar with is called Magic Without Fears. So check that out, and if you get to the end of this conversation and you just can't take it and you need to listen to more or you need to finish it, you can always tune uh, your podcast uh, software over to Magic Without Fears, and he will have, I believe, this same conversation on an episode coming out today, um, that's December 15th. Uh, but he'll have the entire conversation. So if you if you can't wait until uh, episode 102 of Esoteric Nerd, you can get the spoilers there by checking out that episode. Um, so yeah, I recommend checking out all this stuff. And so, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? And thank Can you. I, that? I think we're both on each other's podcast now. So welcome to mine and thank you for having me on yours. This is all your fault. <laughs> How so? You, you definitely sort of got me into coming back out of the shadows into the light, you know, with all your shenanigans, streaming <laughs> online rituals in 2015 and, and generally making a public spectacle of yourself and having, as I, when I finally caught up on what you had been up to, I'm like thinking I had been like, you know, out of the scene and safe for a long time, as you mm -hmm. we all know. Um, and then I'm listening to these old episodes with like Jeff Contreras and other people, and Joe Shantz, and everyone keeps mentioning my name all the time, saying really nice things about me. <laughs> but like, I was like, oh, so for all these years, I thought I was like, you know, keeping a, my head down and staying out of trouble and shenanigans. But, you know, I had, it was being outed all the time. So yeah. su such is life. And then, you know, you and I started talking because there was that time in LA, of course, where we tried to connect, but we weren't in the right Oh, and I was drunk at Art Walk? That explains everything. Well, I was with an old soar and we met up because I was there down at the California Gen Con doing a trade show. Right. Um, and, and then we ran into each other. And, you know, I had like, I had lunch in a hotel with Alex back then. You know, I was, I would always hook up with people when I was in town who wanted nice. to like, get, say hi. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I was really sad this past year in California to not be able to follow through on my plans with people like, you know, Catherine and, and, you know, lunch with Ramsey's. He invited me to lunch. Right. To LA. Yeah. That, was, that, that sucks. But, you know, things suck so much in the world right now. You can't really right. be bad about 
about a few things like that. Like, yeah. like oh, the world's ending or something. It seems like it'll probably just be a few more months. There's like uh, three vaccines coming and what they're only going to be able to make 40 million of them a month. So I think by next uh, April or June or something, things should be pretty much back to whatever normal is. Minus Trump. Uh, <laughs> they'll, they'll, well, you know, whatever it takes to change our genetics so we can interbreed with the future uh, coming aliens when they right. surface. And yeah, that's the main goal. We want alien babies. Little yeah, alien yeah, baby. Yeah, it, I, I wrote a sci-fi back in the day. Never did anything with it, but there were uh, half gray, half humans living on Venus. Oh. Well, they, on Venus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was an alternate <laughs> dimension where, do you, have you, do you remember King Ralph? No. It was John Candy, and the premise was that everybody oh, in the yeah. British royal family died, and he was the next of kin. And uh, Dude, so I he, saw that opening night in theaters, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so When I was a kid, you know. So in this alternate dimension, King Henry VIII uh, had a son with Catherine of Aragon, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> and so that, of course, created a whole different line. So, so the person we know as Queen Elizabeth II uh, was uh, ran a ran a hotel in Las Vegas, and so she fell in love with a gray alien because there was no World War II, so there was no nuclear radiation in the air. So the Roswell aliens just landed and introduced themselves rather than crashing. So like all these alternate timeline things. Anyway, not important. Wow. <laughs> yeah. As one does, right? Yeah. Oh, Jeez. man. So I noticed you were uh, doing like a tour of that like that you were interviewing people, but staying with, st you, well, I know you were staying in a cabin for a while. I, w I wasn't sure if you were. Oh, that was, yeah, quarantine. Cause uh, when you come back and when you go to a country, you have to isolate away from all people. And, and oh, but stuff. you were, when you weren't there with the, the Thalemite guy? Um, like in... I, I like, I like how you say that. Um, well, it's, it's Chris <laughs> Bennett's uh, Soma Retreat Center and uh, one of his buddies who I met before is, uh, oh, okay. is, a, is a neophyte in the AA. His, uh, his mentor is out in Ontario, I think. And you know how the AA does it. They have a ment master apprentice. Yeah, like the mom. Sith. Yeah. <laughs> there, no, I... I can definitely see uh, strengths to the, the teacher student model, but I mean, you just, you just know, for me, it's like, you know, you're, you, you learn so much in a classroom working yeah. with a wide range of people. I just, uh, I mean, after, after what Crowley saw happen in the Golden Dawn, I can sort of understand why he was like, hey, let's try something new. Or this has worked yeah. before. It worked for Trithemius and, and Agrippa and all, you know, the lineage of occultism. Often it worked. So, you know, more the merrier. Why not, right? Yeah, toward toward the end there in my uh, in for me it was 2013 when I finally left, and uh, yeah, there was a, one student in particular that was new, and he was, you know, it, it wasn't that he was questioning everything; it's that he was like insulting everything and interrupting everyone and kind of like like talking down to the other students from the class. You know what I mean? And and so I kind of lost my temper at the guy, and. Uh, but it, it, it resulted in like everybody had a crappy class with bad energy, you know, and, and it was like, eh, it was a little bit his fault, but it was kind of my fault. And, uh, you know, and it was just, 
I, I was like, okay, I'm not really offering anybody anything anymore. It just, you know, it's, it's a lot of anger and resentment. So I had to like get some space from that. I mean, as you can imagine, after 18 years of compulsory Sunday meetings and, you know, like having to. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, now I, I do a little bit of coaching. I think you mentioned you do some private coaching for people going through the system. And, uh, and so for me, I've been working with a guy, I think, you know, uh, Robbie, he was uh, co-host in the previous episode. Yeah, I love Robbie. And he's starting to delve into some practicus. Uh, so so I, I, I remembered back in the day, that seemed to be a favorite subject of yours, the, uh, the dark night of the soul and the uh, clopothic spheres and how it relates to the seven deadly spiritual sins and how all that ties into the alchemy of the practicus grade. So I thought yeah. that would be a good, a good thing to ask you because I thought, I, I told Robbie, I think that somewhere deep down in, in Fred RC, there's a little boy who loves talking about the dark night of the soul. Because <laughs> I was remembering yeah. like 20 years ago. <laughs> well, well, I remember what was shocking, especially to me in, in going through that watery grade of practicus was, you know, that's when a lot of the alchemy really starts to kick into high gear, right? Yeah. Especially if you're doing it in an order like ours where, where the kind of a lot of the transformation happens in the outer order because so much materials from the inner is put into that curriculum. So you do change a lot. And that's what I think the outer order grades should be for. for, for you, can, you can up the dosage of self-development and purification as much as you want. Or you could just have it like it was in Crowley's day with the LBRP or his five meditations, now learn some Hebrew. Right. That was sort of it. That was all they had. When mm. Crowley called the LBRP the quintessence of, of magic, it's because that was the only ritual he was doing, right? <laughs> they didn't have, he wasn't doing like even BRH or let alone things like the analysis and stuff like that. So um, when I was in practice, I was surprised that it was required reading to read two Christian mystical texts from the 16th century, right? right. Which is Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. And then Interior Castles by St. Teresa of Avila is recommended. And I, I got a lot out of both of them. What was most shocking about The Dark Night of the Soul was how it's not actually about a dark night of the soul. It's about two dark nights that happen in, in two different stages. And the comparison between them and what we would call the lesser mysteries and the greater mysteries or the lesser circulation and the greater circulation in alchemical terms um, was really hit home. And it was like, okay, John of the Cross here is really discussing two distinct periods that you can easily see happening in yourself going through those stages of alchemical from process from the white to the red and all of that. And uh, in practice, that's when a lot of that stuff really hit home. Uh, I wrote the sort of the theory of, of what I was seeing in comparison and wanted a methodology to approach working through those energies. So I dived into... Uh, Kenneth Grant's Night Side of Eden for looking at the tunnels of Set, which is essentially the paths on the tree of life, but in the Averse or evil tree. And of course, mm. in practice, you get introduced to infernal habitations and the you know sin demons and the clipot um, or unclean spirits is the probably better called. And you even get the Olympic planetary spirits to uh, you can that you can scry with if you want to uh, really go hard. I think just to interject, I think shells, since that's the uh, the actual literal translation of klepot, but that, yeah, and then demons is more of a Christianization of a pagan Greek thing. So, yeah, I could see how one, yeah. one, one could 
opt away from <laughs> that term, but shells is accurate. Um, uh, so the Dark Knight of the Senses was one of them, yeah. wasn't it? That's the first one. And that's what I really found was happening in Practicus. But I think for a lot of people, it happens sometime between Practicus and Portal. Um, I definitely think it's a necessary stage in preparation for knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel or for, or for the solar initiation that is the five equals sixth grade when you become Osiris, right? And get reborn yourself in that third degree stage, which is what it is. And so looking at the seven deadly sins, and I'm revising it now to be about eight deadly sins. So that's something I've been working on for a while because the lecture was wildly popular and wildly long, right? It was yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved it. And people would walk by. Yeah, everyone loved it. And yeah. I did it, you know, all over the world. And It became and, the uh, standard, I think, for yeah, people would refer to their notes from that class when they were teaching practicus and, you know, getting into that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's sort of trippy to think about it. Um, yeah, a lot of the quality, I think, came, came out in the giving it as lectures over and over and over again, uh, whereas the basic essay was, of course, somewhat parochial and still is that you can get online. Mm. And um, what was really interesting was because I wrote the main essay in Practicus, I wasn't actually allowed to do a lot of the referencing of Tunnels of Set or the Clipothic Demons or right. And stuff. So I had to take out a lot of these these names of the demons, of the unclean spirits, because they were considered not not healthy things to get focus in your sphere of sensation at that time. Yeah, um, I think so I, I first heard it Power Week '99. So you yeah, you, and, well, and I didn't. That was when that happened because you know I all of a sudden I'm writing all these very uh, unique demon names on the board, and and a bunch of adept I rushed in to see what this kid was up to. They're like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm like, what I'm talking about, the, the, you know, the path demon, Tantifaxat. And they're just like, oh, my God. And they would, they'd just like, okay, I'd like, you want me to stop? They'd be like, no, keep going. Next thing you know, all the ones that rushed in to see what the hell I was up to were sitting down in the back of the Taking notes. <laughs> classroom for hours until they got yanked into rehearsals for some matter or the other, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was all very trippy for me to have you know to, for something that i had done as a you know did as a teenager to be so successful amongst a lot of people who had much more life experience and age and all of everything on me but it was it was not just a theoretical exercise it was something coming out of deep deep struggles i was having mm. in that grade and in my faith because in the dark night of the senses saint john of the cross makes it very clear that god or as i would see it back then your higher self removes essentially your ability to sense spirit, your ability to sense your faith. So it's like if faith is something that you have and uh, that can be separated from your experience of, of magic or God, right? So there's the experience of God, but then there's the faith in God. And so in the dark night of the senses, what's removed from you and you're given in place pure aridities, right? Just these, these sort of empty, non-sensate experiences driven by faith. You have to keep doing the work because of your faith, even though the, the juicy yumminess and the sulfurous uh, fun and joy of doing meditation and ritual very much gets, gets pulled out of you to test and purify your faith. Are you going right. to keep doing this work? Are you going to keep climbing towards that mountain, even though we've taken all the joy out of it? And a lot of people do fall out and fall away from the work once it gets hard, right? A lot of people are just going on to the next ritual, to the next shiny object. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot like when... They uh... abandon them when a couple gets past the in love stage of a new romance and then the relationship is tested, like, is this really something that's going to last? You know, 
it's a, it's a yeah. kind of a similar thing. Can we can we move from infatuation infatuation uh, right. to uh, to true love to agape, eros to yeah. agape? Yeah, I I mean sometimes you, I think once in a while in life you encounter someone you just have that true love for right away or very right. quickly, but a lot of the time I think it has to be earned. Um, yeah, by people willing to do the work. Yeah. Um, so, and the second stage of the dark night. So, that, like, if you look at the dark night of the senses, it's the lesser circulation that occurs in the lesser mysteries. That's where you're purifying your elemental and sensate uh, psychic senses, or just spiritual senses, really super senses. That thing, those things that make the ritual work so poignant and powerful and full bodied, that goes away, and you have to keep doing the work. And then it comes back even more. But then John of the Cross talks about something that I couldn't relate to except through sort of analogy of what I was going through in the dark night of the senses. And so in the dark night of the spirit, which is the second dark night, that's something that is a sort of once in a lifetime experience as he talks about it, um, in which God removes your own faith in God. Right. So that's the really heavy one. And I remember talking to, to Martin about these things as we were going through the grade together. Um, and he's, he, I remember like it was yesterday, he was up in his room in, at Temple Tehuti and he said, you know, I think when I hit that years later, I'm just going to probably like check out and like, it's going to be bad. He said, it's going to be really bad. I'm just going to probably sit in a basement and play video games and just drink and do nothing at all. I'm like, I remember thinking that was a really interesting thing to uh, anticipate, mm. but also probably um, not untrue uh, for a right. lot of people. I mean, back in St. John of the Cross's time, you climb up a mountain with your rosary and just sort of tough it out every day mm. or something like that, right? Yeah. But we live in a different era and what, uh, how we work through that, that losing. I think it's important for many years, I considered myself highly atheistic. Um, this is just even sort of recently, but not in a sense that I didn't believe in God or that I couldn't feel God, but more in a sense that, you know, it is like in a sense, like you're not, you're not, um, yeah, for me, well, it then, manifested in a sense of, I didn't know what to look forward to anymore. Mm. Like, you know, I felt like, well, I may not have gotten there wherever I thought there should be, Mm. I had gotten to a place where I didn't know what else I should get to. And right. that was what was surprising for me mm. um, going through my own dark night of the spirit, which is something I really only started to come out of in the last few years. And that was something that um, you and your podcast and, and encouragement from those people like Joe Shantz, who I really, really love, mm. loved um, seeing what you guys were doing and that you were still, like that you were going through the, the, the destruction of our order that we were trained in with the expulsion of its leader, who is of course, a, someone who was, I was very close to as well as you. And just all, seeing all that happen finally, because mm. I knew when Temple de Hudi, uh fell and that schism between Canada and America happened in 2003, four, I knew that things would, uh, like it wasn't for a, some foolish reason, like I couldn't keep it together. It was, it was all a revolt in Canada against what was going on in, with Robert in the States. Right. And, and all of that, like, you know, 
well, I don't even need, we've, we, you've covered that yeah. well for a hundred episodes on your podcast. Yeah. I, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if, if the point of my podcast got lost somewhere in the middle of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, it was like, what was I the mean, point of your podcast? No, I mean, I, the, I guess the main one was to, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, it's changed, I guess, you know, at the time there was t probably twofold. One was, uh, so that people who, were ex-members of our order that we were in, uh, could have a place where they could come on and talk openly about stuff that they thought that they had to hide and keep secret out of fear of some powerful black magic or whatever that they thought that that guy could do to them, you know? Uh, and then the other thing was to let people know what they were getting into um, if they did decide to pursue, I mean, in particular that group, I, I don't know the other groups as well. I think you've gotten to know them better than I did. Um, so, I, so I was kind of a one-trick pony, like I am a master of this one particular subsect of a reenactment sort of Catholicized Golden Dawn and then everything else I'm pretty clueless about, like these quote Aleister Crowley, I'm like, what, who, you know? But um, I'm, well, I, you think, know. I think that's uh, not a bad thing, honestly, something I've been hearing about, like I'm teaching on a whole website now that I've set up uh, called Hermetic Mystery School, which is, you know, not going to officially launch till January 31st, but is, is solidly into a beta stage with people getting involved. Nice. And hopefully it'll be a, more of a sort of a borderline open source, but also meant for people who don't have a local Templar in order that they want to work with. Yeah, that's um, great. People can go join a local temple and go through the grades. It doesn't really take that long to go through the outer order or have all the seven initiations. I mean, if something takes three, five, seven years, that's not a huge chunk of time when you consider the skill set you're developing in that time. Yeah. Um, right. And there's a lot of good orders out now where you can just go through that with more or less no bullshit. And, you know, there's always going to be human problems, but that's, that's something that's just endemic to all of life. Right. It's not special to any group. I mean, now, yeah. now more than ever, we don't need to clarify that fact about <laughs> human reality. Yeah. Um, people, people are, people. but they, it's like half the people are uh, waking up to it and the other half are really falling for it more than ever. seems like. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the dance. People yeah. are gonna. People like to dance. Um. <laughs> so the the seven or eight, what are the eight deadly sins? Oh, the 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 eighth one is inspired by Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Observation of him or something he said. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, and honestly, uh, I'm put. I'm I'm working on on putting it. I'm, I'm working on filming the whole dark night of, of the, of the seven deadly sins, essentially as a, as a major like eight hour video series. Nice. So that, and I'll, I'll save what that eighth sin is going to be for, for, for the release. Okay. I gotta have some share. Especially yeah, yeah. Since, uh, I don't mind uh, talking, but especially it's more interesting than to just to give away the, the, the gilding of the, subject we're talking about it's more interesting to actually explore the the subject and one of the things i was thinking about this because I'm, I'm wrestling with it constantly how to convey this information and and convey the same value that you got out of an interactive six or seven hour workshop right because a lot of parts of that kind of learning are done with people interacting and saying 
saying things to you, you say things to them, they ask a question, you can, you can narrow it down and then illustrate an exact point. Whereas you yeah. know, on a, in video lecture format or in a book you want, it's, it's got to be done differently. So yeah, upgrading that's a big thing, but um, essentially- I guess you could do that um, with a live stream if somebody were there to read to you the good comments or something. The eighth deadly sin has to do with da'at. So whereas we have um, the seven deadly sins going from yesod up to hod, netzach, tiferet, givra, and chesed, and, and, and bina, the planets, mm. the eighth has to do with da'at. And so the sin is very, I'll give you a hint. And the sin has to do with, it's a major sin in life. And you'd almost think that it would be included in the seven um, classical spiritual sins, but it has to do with what is the sin against knowledge. Like if I'm going to impart to you knowledge, what's the greatest sin I could commit while imparting something that's supposed to be knowledge. Right. Probably falsification like if, or, or a twisting of it. Yeah. And the word itself is a decimation of the name of the goddess. So, um, it's hmm. a, it's a, it's a, an appropriate word. Interesting. Very curious. But yeah, we'll create a little hype because it's going to be good. It's definitely going to be one of the best things I've. Oh, I've that's done great. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad this can preempt that and give people a heads up. Yeah. When, when can people expect that one? Not that will be coming in, in the early, like, you know, new year. Sweet. Yeah. Looking forward yeah. to that. Right now I'm just getting the bones and structure of everything in place. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been tricky to uh, <laughs> apartment hunt during COVID. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, my sister's doing it as well. And a lot of places don't even, won't even let you have a viewing because it's COVID. And, we, uh, we got in on the first day that, or the first week that Goa was reopened. Uh, people weren't allowed to drive into Goa from outside the state. And, uh, so, and you, so you moved there just in time. Yeah. Well, we got, we moved here as soon as it was open and, uh, and the, the streets were just empty. There was like one little grocery store that was far away that I could walk to from the place we were staying. But now it's completely full-fledged open. Um, of wow. course, uh, Americans aren't allowed in, uh, but there's, there seem to be other, some other countries that are allowed to come and go a little bit. And, and there's people, there's Americans that kind of, well, got stuck here. Uh, but it, on purpose, they had the option to fly back, but it was kind of like, uh, no, it's okay. I'll stay here. <laughs> you see, you know, there's uh, a lot fewer cases, you know, in this part of India than, than in, you know, San Francisco or Los Angeles or something. You can fly into, into Canada from China, but not the States. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like them apples? Wow. Yeah, we've got a we've got a renewed sort of disdain for America happening right now in Canada, just sort of because Canadians are always looking for any chance to be like, oh, that's right. We are better. See, here's the proof. <laughs> like that really happened with, with George Bush. Uh, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah, that was oh, when I first oh, became yeah. aware of that phenomenon. <laughs> it's one thing I've noticed now, having done another good chunk of time in the States is like, how much that attitude is a result of highly controlling highly controlled information like what you see what the, the news people here get up get up here is so distorted from what's actually going on on the ground down there and right you can actually testify to that and be like yeah it's it's not it's not honest representation and what people hear about canada outside of canada is not an honest representation it's yeah that's, that's 
the new technocracy, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the internet and social media had a lot to, a lot of effect on. Uh, like I, I remember it was two thousand two when I realized everyone hated America. <laughs> like people on uh, ICQ and on all these different mm. uh, social media things talking about Americans and Bush in the same sentence. And I always had to explain like, I, wait a minute, I'm not George Bush. Like there's a big difference, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, people would be like chatting with you, I'm sure on like MSN or whatever. And they'd probably be like, oh, you're American? Ew. And you're like, yeah, I live here in LA. And they'd be like, oh really? I love LA. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People were either enamored with it or, or put off by it. Like you, you have strong feelings one way or the other. Yeah, it's like, you've never been to LA. You're just saying that. Yeah. Oh yeah, like Hollywood Boulevard. I'm sure you've walked down and like smelled the urine and like Over really the years, nothing. you guys showed me everything. <coughs> I mean, I saw a lot of LA over yeah. my years uh, with you guys and, and it was great. It's it's so, it's such a counterpoint to how it appears in the movies. It's quite yeah. shocking and, and hilarious, but. Yeah, but, some yeah, of the beaches are well. nice, but uh, this, yeah. Well, we had, we had so many amazing magical experiences at the beaches together. Yeah. I mean, up on, and on hilltops in the middle of the night, like we would just, you know, Ramses would take us freaking everywhere, right? It's like, it's like, are you done cleaning the temple? It's like, uh, yeah, just another half hour. By 2 a.m. I'll be like, good, then we have something to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course we do. Of course we have somewhere, to a two-hour drive ahead of us at 2 a.m. for yeah. some ritual on the beach. That's just oh the, the way we did it. We were very hardcore, and um, that, that's something that I, I, I think uh, gets lost in all the, uh, the history of drama and things like that. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like there has to be a good in order, because, I mean, who would stay with a group that they were getting nothing out of or, you know? It's like they're, it's almost like equal and opposite, having such a profound otherworldly kind of experience on the one hand kind of made you willing to tolerate the, all the crap on the other side. But then it's interesting looking back because, I mean, I don't know about you or how far it went for you, but when I look at like uh, how Fox News, uh, you know, at, uh, operates and how they apologize for whoever the GOP, you know, head is at the time. I mean, these days, even Fox is turning against Trump. But like when uh, when Fox would be the mouthpiece for Bush. Is the GOP a Democrat thing? Or yeah, yeah. No, that's that's like Republican. Uh, Grand old party GOP. is what it stands for. And, oh, okay. And the, the DOP is the Democrats. Or and then like Fox that. is like the uh, the apologists. Okay. And, and, and so it's like part of... Part of what bugs me about it all is that I used to be Fox and uh, to to Robert's, uh, you know, grand old party president, like uh, all the people online had valid points. And I was the one out there that was either saying, oh, yeah, we'll prove it or, oh, you're a liar or, well, the last time you accused him of that, it was different, you know, like trying to spin, spin it this way, spin it that way, so that there'd be a, a, a kernel of doubt in the uh, minds of potential future members and clients that, uh, that maybe he's not a piece of shit. And then, so I'd, it's really interesting, like, um, to enact it and then observe it in the world and kind of like, okay, like, this is what, this is what it means to grow up and be 40 and, uh, and to be penitent, <laughs> to, to kind of like, 
you know, when, you, when people say, oh, when I was young, I was, I was dumb, I did all these things, and then I grew up. Like even the great uh, sages of old would say, oh, when I was young, I was a soldier, and I, was, I cared about how I looked and my, how I presented myself, and then I grew up, and now I live in a cave, and, you know, that kind of thing. Not to compare myself to the sages, but... <laughs> Sorry, I well, went on for a minute. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. But one yeah. of the advantages, I think, um, you mentioned like not knowing about other Golden Dawn orders and stuff like that. One thing that keeps coming up, people asking about, pardon me, dealing with a bit of the uh, autoimmune diseases are a hoot and a half. Oh, that um, sucks. Anyway, um, eh, meh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I've had to like readjust how I do sun salutations because uh, I'm not supposed to do anything that uh, puts my stomach in a position different to normal. Oh, so that's, okay. That's been a fun one. And now that you're a, a yoga, a yogi guru master, as well, <laughs> you'd probably be like, like, what do I do instead of downward dog? I just can't do downward dog because I'll it, even no matter what time of the day it is, it could make me like regurgitate. Oh wow! So that's 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 a weird thing. That's a weird thing, and you know, bodies break down, and if you get you get a couple of whatever, it's not a big deal. I don't think about that stuff much. It just sort of it plays its part, and I play my part, and we both carry on together, merrily singing a song. Yeah. But the the thing that people have been asking me is like, what what do I think of Regardi's book, The Golden Dawn, and blah 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 blah. And that was one of the things that you and I had very much in common in our experience, because you 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 joined at sixteen, I joined at fifteen. A bunch of us actually joined at that mid-teen years, mm -hmm. um, including like, uh, including Ka, right? Including Nemo. Mm -hmm. He was 16 when he joined and, and got, you know, his, his training. And, and all of us, um, we didn't, we, we, did, we learned very little from books before learning yeah. hands-on. Yeah. And so we got, when got I, medieval style, like as if. Yeah, well, it's very different how, how like Rigardi presents these things in a it's all based very much around these initiations and some knowledge lectures and then some techniques right mm. and when you're in an actual order you're generally going to have a much wider range of techniques and also every variation on those techniques that every single teacher you have thinks is useful yeah. and then you do it with someone who had, does it a lot like his teachers tend to teach the things they know well even as they go through a standard curriculum at times mm. they focus on and add what they have gotten good at and that's just that's what takes most of your time is learning things somewhat well that someone else knows really well and as you all do that together everyone gets a whole lot better and yeah comes we, we so many so many little doesn't matter how small the ritual or technique is you do after doing it a bunch with with other people and then on your own it, it affects you i mean systematic meditation is something I, I i wonder a lot about because again going back to the sort of sins we can slip into of, of just flitting from one technique to another whatever's the newest and shiniest or thing we haven't tried um, that's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with fun new techniques, right? Mm. But how there's a different kind of reward you get from from working the same technique into the ground, right? Right, and and it's going to cause what we consider these days this kind of alchemical change, this kind of kind of psychological and spiritual testing that forces us to, um, you know look at who we are and and distill out from our grosser nature subtler and better qualities yeah. i mean 
we change as people doing this work. And, and I think that's a big part of it. There's also a debate now, right? I don't know if you're aware uh, between um, people who practice magic and people who consider without spirituality, sort of uh, that's, that, that, that path is sort of promoted heavily by Dr. Stephen Skinner and who does all the grimoires. Um, he doesn't consider spirituality, he has said, to have anything to do with magic. And then you have Aaron Leach, who's one of like the top guys in Cicero's order and also an amazing teacher, but who actually also is one of the, the best teachers for traditional Anakia magic. I did his master class that he recorded with Jason Newcomb and uh, on, it, tr on traditional Anokian magic. And the technique is so different and the whole process of doing it is so different from Golden Dawn. It's, it's really wonderful because mm. it's like, I would actually say, Golden Dawn technique of Enochian magic makes sense in conjunction with the initiatory tradition of the Golden Dawn, because mm. it's drawing heavily on the format and style and symbolism of the initiations and what you're going through. Whereas if, but I don't think it's necessary to do, you know, become a Golden Dawn adept to do Enochian magic at all. Of course, right. I think if you're, if you're not, if you would just want to do Enochian magic, do it the traditional John D way that Aaron Leach teaches and uh, I think you could have a great time with that. I look forward to, to getting heavily into that once I have some space again. Mm. Nice. So there's this debate about, he, and he believes that you can't separate the magic from the spirituality, that you right. need to have this theur theurgic process. But the magicians like Stephen Skinner and Frater Ash and Shasan, who are sort of the rock stars of uh, evocational magic, are very much promoting a, a more... Uh, horizontal rather than a vertical approach to doing these things and they're also looking for they they don't they're not looking for anything astral they're looking for full-on physical manifestation as well mm. how do you like that right yeah 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 it's interesting like to the extent of like you know steven skinner would say you can't do this stuff with anyone else in the building that you are in because these spirits maybe they might show up in the astral or you could perceive them in the spirit vision in on those circumstances but they're not going to physically manifest in a domicile or in a building or a structure in which there's other people doing other mundane things mm. even if it's in a uh, you know the unit over or somewhere else in the house and you're in the basement he he believes those spirits just aren't going to show up like they would otherwise mm. which is interesting to me because that's not stuff we were ever taught yeah yeah we were definitely on the uh the side of it all having to do with a spiritual process that was you know a very particular process like a, yes we were very we very map. theurgic <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and to me that's very much what it is still sort of about because there is a lot that um comes with the initiations and the techniques tied to those initiations like it's very weird to imagine someone doing the analysis of a keyword which is makes use of adept, the adept, it's all based around the adept grade signs and the mm. five equals six initiation. So if you don't have, if you haven't gone through that, yeah. it's not doing the same thing, right? Right. It's still a powerful ritual. And a lot of people like Damien Eccles will tell you it is the number one most powerful way he knows to draw in divine white light. And I would be like, well, yeah, I agree. And it was for me as well, back when I was like 13, doing it through Don Craig's book, but it was it becomes just something very very different once you've gone through the years and years of training and initiations and then you're doing it after five six I, like it yeah i was always hopeful that it would become something much greater on a higher level going through those initiations and it was worth the wait 
it was yeah. worth cutting out all those advanced rituals from my practice and going through a system that really flips you upside down, shakes you all about and then puts you back together, not in anything like the way you were before. Mm. Ah, that was my experience. Yeah. Uh, one thing I remember, I think it was from your lecture was that what most people call spiritual pride, they're actually talking about spiritual envy. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. so, with the, so with the nuances of looking at, at, at alchemy and spiritual development through the lenses, the joint lenses, it was like put, I was making a bifocal and part of the lens is St. John of the Cross, but also I was using bits of insight from St. Teresa of Avila's interior mm. castle, which is really, I think that is to the dark night of the senses. It's, it's, it's more of a portal spirit grade sort of material where you're taking stock of a, a wider range of the facets of your soul. Mm. But um, what's interesting when you compared and looked through the lens of John of the Cross with Kenneth Grant, who's, you know, the, the, created the Typhonian order, out of out of the thelemic schools of thought and really works a lot with the dark forces as some might call them um those those demons are so specific to the averse tree which of course you know you enter through da'at you just don't cross the abyss but he head head straight down into lilith the queen of night and demons mm. and through da'at right take it take a headlong dive and i believe that's necessary like you know like tdl would always say in the vault you want to you want to look up before you look down but eventually you're going to have to face those demons. Right. And uh, by using the, that, those two comparative methods of the, the tunnel demons and the St. John of the Cross's insights, what really became apparent was a different way of looking at the sins and how they reflect on ourselves. And that was really eye-opening because sometimes all you have to do is just change a, an interpretation a little bit and you see a whole other part of yourself and your motivations and a bit more honesty, you know, because we, we like to look how we like to look. And if someone forces you to look slightly differently, you can be like, oh, damn, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. So, yeah, what, how do people usually describe spiritual pride? Well, I think that the assumption is that they're very proud of, uh, of their spiritual sort of persona uh, that they're putting forth and very confident in it. Um, and maybe that they judge or look down on people who are less spiritual or less enlightened or, or something like that. But that's more of a picture of, of uh, spiritual envy, isn't it? The, the Venusian one. Um, yeah, avarice. Oh, or, or, is or, envy uh, the... or gluttony. Gluttony is Venus. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but, so, but pride is more just sloth. Pride for is just you that don't stopped. know this. Right, right, right. The for Catholic... listeners that don't know this, sloth is the sin that corresponds here to Saturn, right. Bina, and the demon is therefore Satariel. And the kind of things we're dealing with there is larvae and ghouls. And the guardian of the path is Tantifaxat, um, which is actually, there's a band named that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, then when we move on, I got the book right here that I've ripped through with a pen for editing's sake. Here, here's what uh, John of the Cross says about that state. He says, he weans them from the breasts of these sweetnesses and pleasures, give the, gives them pure aridities and inward darkness, takes from them all these irrelevancies and impurities, and by very different means causes them to win virtues. 
Hmm. You know, the idea that, that the virtues we think we're seeking and the way to find them is not the way we expect is what you, you want to hear when you're on a spiritual yeah. path, right? You, yeah. you want to know that. Or a good D&D we're campaign. All, we're all smart people. Yeah, baby. Because <laughs> like, we're, we're all smart people. No one who does this work is, is usually much of a dum-dum. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> David Griffin. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's the occasional ones. But uh, the idea that, that God is meant to surprise us, right? God is always sort of a surprise. Mm. Just like angels are always terrible, right? <laughs> there's always this kind of shock. I yeah. see it as like this encounter with the really real. Most of the time we spend our, our lives in, in, drifting in these symbolic worlds of interpreted reality, departing into imaginary realms of either fantasy or psychosis, whatever, whatever right. your, your taste is um, or where you're at in your life. But then there's these encounters with the really real. And every time you encounter something really real, like true love, really real, mm. every, or you jump off the building, and you think you could fly or maybe you just like you know, whatever and you hit the ground anytime you jump you remember when you're a kid and you jump because you're not quite sure how high you can jump yet but then right. you remember that first time you jumped from something too high and yeah. you hit really hard and you're like yeah. oh shit that hurts <laughs> like whether you're three four five ten twenty five and you're just like motherfucker that fucking hurt and that's the real and the real yeah. is always traumatic yeah you love uh violence uh jumping off a building and hitting the ground that's real so whenever you encounter things that are really real they traumatize you because they shake up and destroy the symbolic reality that you think you've been living your life in that, that this consensus that works for you or the imaginary departures therefrom, and then you hit something real I, yeah i i had an experience or, i had an experience like that where i felt like i had uh everything under control i felt like i understood everything in terms of the vault of the adepti and and a good lbrp and my temple room and all these geometric figures and then i took a uh, what terence mckenna describes as a heroic dose of uh psilocybin mushrooms and and it for me it it, it sort of was like that because i had nothing i was equipped with no tools <laughs> to be able to handle what was going on or to be able to when, describe or explain like i wasn't like okay this is your sewed oh there's hode you know like it wasn't there was nothing even recognizable in in terms of my symbolic uh <laughs> assumptions when did when did you do that oh that was 11 11 11 uh, uh november 11th of 2011 uh, out in joshua tree oh amazing it, 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 i had i had a nice experience with my ancestors though uh i i i had this strong feeling you know the eyes the, like when you close your eyes and you see eyes everywhere i i, I assume that, that, that oh happens yeah for other people yeah. and i think it, of it as like the eyes and scales of the drasriel nature oh okay i i always thought it was osriel Maybe same thing. I, I have a very Celtic interpretation of, of the what they call in Irish Kapani Puka, the, the magic mushrooms. Kapani mm. Puka just means puka hats because they're, they're named after the shape-shifting fairies. Mushrooms are the hat the shape-shifting fairy wears. And mm. I always found it very, very instructional that the idea that when you're on those mushrooms, you enter into the she. And if you don't shape-shift like, like a puka, then you can uh, not get through it as smoothly as you oh, otherwise might. You have to be able to shape shift. You have that to makes sense. shape shift. You you yeah. really do on on those heroic doses. Yeah. Um, which is there any other kind of dose? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just like a weaker dose. Where you're like, oh, do you feel it? I feel it. But yeah, when when you're 
when it's in your face like that. I, I felt like the eyes were my ancestors and that it was somehow my DNA. So it could have been atheist or, or spiritual either way. Like it was either my brain was looking at my ancestors and my DNA, or it was, I was having a shamanic experience with the spirit of my ancestors in reality, uh, or both or neither. I don't know. But uh, what if, you know how we're all trapped in our own microcosms and we only see the reality of ourselves reflected back to us? Yeah. You know that old story? Well, what if <laughs> mushrooms and those other psychedelics, what they're actually doing, rather than just causing us to go deeper into our microcosm or cause chemicals to fire in our brains and trip us out, man? Mm-hmm. What if what's actually happening is we're puncturing the really real into the macrocosm and seeing how fucked up shit is when we don't have this interpreted symbolic veil. Yeah. What if the veil is actually this really simple, beautiful, but sort of dull, sometimes mundane world that we perceive as so physical and stable. And that's what's happening. We're just like seriously seeing cachette, the, the veil, the oh. veils torn aside and the actual reality is like, we don't see sound normally, but the ancient Israelites, when they heard God speak in, in Exodus, they saw sound. Mm. Sounds like a trip to me, right? That's yeah. Definitely, that's a, there's a strong argument that's evidence of, you know, the only time people ever describe seeing sound or synesthesia is on psychedelics usually. That's mm. the main time people describe that. Yeah. And they were, you know, burning acacia leaves, leaves in cannabossum, which is the Hebrew word for cannabis. And so they were probably fucked up on DMT and cannabis for all we know. Wow. Yeah, a lot of amazing new interpretation, uh, understanding coming about old religion now that we're uh, putting the drugs back into it. All it takes is a, a, a knowledgeable, charismatic personality and some good psychedelics to turn those kids into the Manson family or, or uh, you know, the Israelites or either one. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it's hard not to, to say they're the same, people. just to clarify, well, no, I mean, I'm not I mean, saying they're the I mean, same. I but... think that's a, a big reason why the government have reacted the way around, you know, you know how when, when, when psychedelic studies and uh, like psychic spies first started being mm. heard about, it vanished real quick. And we haven't heard that much of it since, yeah. especially in the mainstream. Why don't you hear much in the mainstream about remote viewers anymore? But there's this very strong argument that it's because the government realized this stuff was so powerful. They're like, yeah, we cannot let this become common knowledge and have people understand how effective it is. So they wanted to learn how to use it for control rather than allow people to legally use it to set themselves free, right? Mm. That's my thinking on it. So then they created QAnon to uh, distract people from the real conspiracy with a... <laughs> a, a different one. Um, I, I guess so. Um, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe. I, 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 I mean, the QAnon stuff I've looked at is mostly like how Donald Trump's son is a time traveler from the past. Right. He will be a time traveler in the past from the future. And that, that's the storyline I, I really like. Oh, that's kind that's, of interesting. You know, it's, yeah, it's because there's these books from 100 years ago that we've, we have. For, they're from like a hundred years ago and they're one's called the last president and in in, in the last presidency like a hundred years ago the, the the vice president's name is trump and like the books are called like the and the president's or the vice president's name is pence and the president last president is is trump and and the books are like the adventures of baron trump wow <laughs> yeah and then you consider that it was trump's uncle or great uncle 
who was actually one of the CIA members or FBI members who were sent to Tesla's home to steal all of his private papers right when he died with other agents, hmm. including his stuff on time travel. So there's that, that's where they, that, those are the facts around which they, I think, have built these, these very wonderful theories that I'm entirely grateful for. Oh, interesting. For. It's better, it's the best <laughs> fiction, where I don't know what it is. Like, if it's, if it's true, we'll see it when we know it, right? Like, I mean, why well, they, not? Like, first they made reality TV, and then this is TV reality or something. It's like... Uh... When I start to think about this stuff too much, I, I start to also wonder if maybe I died like a few years ago or a while back and this is all now I'm just like living some simulation cast forward in my brain and this is like I'm everyone else around me is actually not real and I'm just this is death like you know just a fucked up reality based on the ways you chose to interpret your life while you were alive. Yeah or or a kind of lucid dream or it can be like uh but and then when you start to think that way, of course, you start to think metaphysically again, like, is this not just the nature of reality? What is the really real? Like, if there are dimensions and timelines and whatever the hell dark matter is or in that space that we can't see in the universe, we just, we just know so little. And that's where I think psychedelics really do open us up to asking questions that are incredibly important, especially if we want to keep developing. Uh, yeah. You know, like, well, have you that's tried DMT the, yet? That's the thing with evolution is it mutates, it mutates a lot of uh, creatures into dying or being, um, you know, what's it called when you're when you die before you're born? Miscarriage. Um, but every once in a while, it mutates them in a way that actually makes them more fit to uh, the current environment than their parents. And then so, so with uh, opening the mind with psychedelics, you're going to end up with a lot of whacked out uh ideas floating on the on the newosphere but but also it's the uh it's well at least it's a way it's a quick way to uh to possibly open up in a good direction too see it was uh, you that yeah. introduced me to the newosphere oh yeah <laughs> right and, it was gordon that introduced me yeah oh amazing well god bless gordon and yeah yeah um, he, and then of course I was, I was, well, you, you had me well armed in seminary for asking about Father Teilhard de Chardin, the just nice. Jesuit sort of prophet, right? And, and every time I would bring him up and, or when the teachers would bring him up, not knowing I had such a hard on for him, <laughs> they would, you know, I would be like, oh my God, you're actually talking like, you know, here's this, this famous 70 year old theologian talking about Teilhard. And I'd never heard him called just Teilhard before. Mm. And she's like, well, yeah, Teilhard, blah, 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 Teilhard, ecological theology, the newosphere, the future of man. And, and I was like, wow, so this, this guy's still taken seriously. And they're like, oh, yeah, a lot of his ideas are, are very hard to dismiss, just very challenging to, you know, it's not about necessarily accepting what he said, but wrestling with the same questions he was asking. Yeah. Like, we have actually almost entered into the newosphere like he predicted. Mm. Like, yeah, we're we, in the we awkward in-between phase. I think so. And, and in some ways it is sort of sad just to think that like whatever cool shit's going to happen next, we're just going to be like those sort of in-betweeners that needed to uh, live and die to get to where things are going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we, we all really see... ready or irrelevant in our own time? Yeah. We get to see some good stuff. I, I remember uh, growing up and hearing, you know, my grandparents talk about the great depression, world war two, and just thinking, wow, they've seen so much. But now I'm just looking, I can look back at my own life and, you know, 
there were no cell phones, there were no internet. I mean, you know, in my early memories, and that's the, we're the last ones that can say that. Like, uh, that, yeah, we are. We're going to be those old fuckers who are like, I remember before there was internet, and people be like, <laughs> people be like, that's that. There was always internet. How could there be no internet? Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Little kids like, that, that like accuse their parents of lying when they say they're older than Google. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, for our grandparents, like, I mean, it was a real concern. Like, they watched the dropping of atomic bombs. Yeah. There, there, there was no way you could have convinced them after that, that, oh, the world wasn't going to end in a big explosion and nuclear war. They mm. were just like, how could it not? Unless we do work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. And to, I think to live with that, that lived experience, as people call it, um, hanging over your head there was a real incentive for them to not fuck things up too much mm. and that seems to be something they sort of lost going into the 80s because you know we've all seen uh we've all seen wolf of wall street and uh American i haven't Titan. yet actually you haven't oh I, I i was like a little kid when my mom was watching the original wall street movie and i didn't see the sequel to that one either but i did start investing in the stock market <laughs> Did you? you Just a bit, man. a bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, what's life like um, as a yoga? You're teaching, you're a yoga teacher. Well, I became a yoga teacher, uh, but I haven't taught yoga um, since I was in Nepal. But I did go through two yoga teacher trainings uh, in India. But with COVID and everything, um, you know, it's just not the time for me and I'm not in a place where I need to you know I I, I and it, plus I let myself go a little bit if I'm being honest I need to get back into shape before I do any yoga teaching because you well, know the crate I mean you can't you, you really don't like don't don't to get have your yoga teaching certificate you have to look good in lululemons that's the law right 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 that's the law yeah in India <laughs> Yeah. Well, what do you, yeah, no, what do you guys do in, in Goa? Because Goa is a place, Goa is actually a place I got yearly invitations to tour by a record label out there from 2007 to 2011. And I never went. Well, here's, here's something interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll answer that. But first, we drive by every day or I walk by if I'm on my way to the store, or I ride my bike. Uh, this statue of this, like, this, this, crazy what like he he's this man waving his arms like he's doing something some kind of magic and there's a woman cowering on the ground and i've always been like what the fuck you know like what is that and uh it's abe i i, I finally looked it up it's abe faria let me double check that um and uh abe faria a-b-b-e-f-a-r-i-a -A -A. so he's a portuguese guy <clears throat> who's born in Candolim, which is the, the part of Goa that I'm in right now. That's where we live. That's why there's a statue of him. And, uh, but he went on to uh, like take Mesmer's work and improve it and make it more about suggestion and command rather than animal magnetism. So he basically was like a proto-hypnotist, but he, apparently he was doing it like some kind of like crazed exorcist while people were cowering on the ground. Um, at least if judging from the statue. Um, so that's fun. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, we, we like the, the old Portuguese. I, I think a lot of people come to Goa and they try to ignore, like they just see the Portuguese stuff and they think 
colonialism and that's bad. Colonialism's bad. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not all good, obviously, but, but there's an old Portuguese uh, feel here that like if you're open to the Catholicism of it and, and the, uh, the Portuguese-ness of it, then it, it kind of accentuates the beauty of Goa. But a lot of people come to Goa and try to ignore it and just see Goa as a party town. Um, but they, there are those neighborhoods and there's a lot of tourism, but then there's like other neighborhoods and I don't know, it's very beautiful that, you know, there's the ocean, but then there's the casino boats. So it, there's a whole spectrum of phenomena happening in Goa. Um, it used to be 92% Catholic uh, 70 years ago, and then it became part of India. And then now it's 40% Catholic and 60% Hindu or something like that. So it's probably the only place in the world where you'll find old churches and new Hindu temples. So like the, That's amazing. the, the Hindu sort of temples for you. Yeah, it's great. It's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I dig the vibe here, but, um, you know, I know there's people who are allergic to anything European that they find in, uh, in the, in, you know, outside of Europe. But, uh, but I mean, it's, it, but it, it does kind of have that homey feel of being a little bit like having the Spanish missions around in California, but not Spanish, Portuguese, and also not California, India. So it's like, and also not desert tropical. So it's like a very sort of alternate dimension uh, to where I was, you know, like a, for the first 40 years of my life in the California desert. Yeah. <laughs> Pasadena boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a classic breed. Your classic breed, a purebred, <laughs> came up the grapevine. This one's going for a, a very, a very steep price. <laughs> shall, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Um, shall we? Uh, seems like we're naturally flowing in through the format of filling in convo between the seven deadly sins. So here's another. Yeah, yeah, Envy. yeah. So that was Saturn. Envy. Saturn is avarice. Envy. Saturn is sloth because Saturn it's is sloth. In. Yeah, and uh, this isn't my opinion. This is God's. God's opinion. I'm just the vessel, right? So <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm always right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> envy corresponds to Jupiter. Envy. And uh, what, what, uh, what you have there is uh, also the um, demons, the, the breakers in pieces, which cause, um, it's interesting, uh, they cause on a global scale, um, the breakdown of, of, of uh, countries a communal disturbance through the Gashekla or the Akshekla and um, also national uh, breakings apart. Um, mm. That's something that they see as coming from uh, envy, but microcosmically it causes uprightness and jealous conceit symbolized by the phallus, mm. ishi, which is the same numerical value. Um, and so that's how some of these things were tied together was through gematria, of course. <laughs> um, as we love to do, um, and so some, however, progress. Uh, here's what here's what some, what I one thing I said it was regarding the speed of it, an initiate progresses through the elemental grades of initiation and completes the lesser circulation. Saint John of the Cross addresses the two circumstances of spiritual progress. Many initiates who go quickly struggle with lesser aptitudes of spiritual qualities and skills and often therefore utilize the knowledge and tools of hermeticism to aid the development of their magical skills. Some, however, progress slower for the sake of not losing sight of others and leaving them behind. Um, so some people will just, you know, stay with their class. They don't want to move ahead. That was a struggle for me. I know at some points where it's like you want to 
stay in the same class as your friends but not progress and john of the cross says they resemble uh who are softly nurtured and who run fretfully away from everything that is hard and take offense at the cross wherein consists the delights of the spirit um yeah that's sort of interesting i think um the 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 other line is and if charity has envy it is holy envy comprising grief at not having the virtues of others yet also joy because others have them and delight when others outstrip us in the service of god wherein we are so remiss so envy is a tricky sort of interesting one that has is sort of a double-edged sword um when it comes to saint john of the cross's interpretation yeah that's interesting yeah so so are you back in action with esoterinard podcast or, and i don't know much about your other podcast but are you, are you going to be doing this more are you gonna what's yeah your, what's a bit your, i mean now that it i sort have... of seemed like you might have vanished and just i mean yeah. I, you you told me very distinctly i think about four four years ago now that i needed to do what i'm doing essentially so i hope you don't, don't mind <laughs> yeah. all this all this shit i've done yeah you were sort of like look man oh, i'm I sort of mind at all. running out of steam and I, I think the world could use a bit of what you have to offer and i was like really i don't think so. i don't think the world <laughs> i did did i say that yeah 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 oh yeah oh good trust me i mean i i wouldn't be doing this if if someone like you because my issue was <laughs> around the vow i had concerns with the vow, right and you yeah. ex- you explained to me this loophole you had found in it uh, well, they, I, they made me a chief. People, yeah. Right. As, 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 as was I. So yeah. you explain this loophole and you're like, well, okay. And I was like, if you say so. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you're right though. About I try it. to the, avoid the way I think about naming it. names and showing, you know, like anyone I th- that would maybe not want to have their identity, you know, or have people know it. Like that's, there's one aspect of the vow I generally try to respect, but uh, but as far as the knowledge of things that have been published in books over a hundred years ago, like, come on, you know, like it, yeah, if, oh yeah. if I can explain something that's written in a book in a way that will help people understand it, I'm not gonna, you know, like, I, I, okay, at one time I wouldn't have done that because that was against my vow, but come yeah. on. <laughs> and 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 sharing of experiences yeah like you're not supposed to share anything that goes on in the order like okay i there's a few things that people need to know about you know that went on in the order so and so exactly so, so that's so if, I, I, if, I i interpret the oath you know if magic if leaders of magical orders were less douchey sometimes right. then there wouldn't need to be people like us who are who are now sort of independent Outing and it. out there <laughs> yeah. and just just sharing our lived experience like this is my lived experience and mm. i think you should know it from my what no we're or also because we've seen horrible things to people done to people we we love and right. um as much like you know honestly magical order should be grateful that people like us recommend them at all because of the shenanigans that can go on and people in there can take advantage of you and ruin your life. You have to go there. You may be hoodwinked at your initiation, but the rest of the time you should have your eyes wide fucking open mm. um, and really maintain your personal and spiritual boundaries and as, and really only allow, you know, as much as you're going to be pushed and challenged, you know, don't, don't give away your power. And that's something Ramses would always say to me, like, don't give away your power, man. Yeah, you know? that's true. He was good. It was nice he to have him there as a buffer. And he's still, he's, yeah, well, he was the he was he was who I think most people thought ran 
the whole international order because he was right. the one teaching everyone yeah, then the, along then the, with the, the wacky of used car salesmen that show up once a year yeah. and confuse yeah. everybody yeah. i mean we, we sort of had it had it good because unlike you know like you got you could have you could have our guy uh like and you sort of have these big figureheads a lot of the like there's leaders of orders out there right now good orders who mm. haven't even gone through the initiations mm. when that's that that's sort of okay because Mathers, Westcott, and Woodman, I don't think ever went through the initiations either. They were just sort of yeah. like, we're applying our, our, our master mason status. Well, who initiated Melchizedek, you know? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, the true initiations, I mean, I, I remember once when I, was, when I was struggling and I was told, look, you could just go off and be an adept of the world. You don't need to stay as an adept of this order. I'm like, well, I love the temple and I love our order and course i was just struggling with some of the the BS well and it's the social circle i was putting us through the, so, yeah. the social world you live in to, to have uh you know friends all over the world that that you have a secret with you know versus like knowing nobody i you know especially back in the day when people were expected to stop talking to you when you got kicked out like that was some kind of like voodoo you know like, yeah, uh, I mean, those were that was like the that was towards the end for me when I yeah. when, when I started hearing stuff like wait, if if my because because uh, Martin was pulling my mom and sister to leave and just work with him and Zaleski out in Montreal and I was like you're trying to convince my family members to cut me out and work with you, right? right. And and then then you had Zinc on the other hand telling me if they went work with Martin I wasn't allowed to see them again and I was like what the fuck is going on and that was the beginning of the end for the canadian connection to yeah going dawn international and i mean most of the time that stuff didn't really rear its ugly head because again we had such a large international order and so many people were were involved that you really didn't you know if, if there was a bunch a bit of gunk in in the water mm. you're like well i'm camping i'll drink it you know <laughs> yeah 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 because mm. i'm out in the wilderness and i'm i'm forging new paths and it's yeah. like yeah so there's some bit of ash from the fire in my in my food Doesn't yeah matter. i think it was definitely a different anyway. experience in california versus chicago or or canada or maybe texas like whenever there was like a a different figurehead that maybe was you know of a, a philosophers or portal that was had a good intention and and uh yeah, they would start a sanctuary and turn it into a temple. Then, uh, then you'd end up with yeah, like how how however many members there, kind of blissfully unaware of w <laughs> the shenanigans well, going on between yeah. California and Washington, you know, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's. It's good, you could, I for, guess. For, for what I mean, we covered this last time you and I spoke yeah. on a podcast, which was three years ago. Time flies, um, and <laughs> actually, we did do a podcast a, a, a year. Yeah, three. <laughs> well, you, 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 like you said, you, 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 you uh, passed the baton to me, and we're like, "Yo, run!" Yeah, yeah. And I, I fucking was like, "No, thank you." And <laughs> next thing I, but you know, over the next like year or two, I, I was just touching in more and more often with my my higher self and and yeah. i well i knew things were going to change right i i needed i needed to do some things that i did and i and i just didn't know how i wanted to relate to the occult world again for a long time right yeah. you know and you need those wounds to heal 
Um, yeah, it's healthy, I think, to do it in one's own terms, you know. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what that should look like. I knew it, it needed yeah. to have something to do with, uh, with the Celtic mysteries, which is, was always my love, because mm. I came into the Golden Dawn out of, you know, Celtic paganism, right? Yeah. I, 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 I didn't have my conversion experience to, to Christ until I was in the portal. Same here. I started with DCWI Druidic Craft of the Wise of America and and I got kicked out of that because my mom and I were in Golden Dawn. They found out they kicked us out. We liked to be very exclusionary back then, right? We we used to not initiate. We wouldn't let OTO or Thelemites into our our order, right? And that was a big deal because a lot of them were like, why? We want to learn magic. I guess that changed in 2006, I think. Did you guys change that? Yeah, I'm there was a, change that. there was this uh, the, these the, this couple that was uh, yeah they they didn't want to resign their membership even they wanted to still go to OTO and go through Golden Dawn and I called up PDR. and you know what I think if we had had known more about the OTO and Thelema then we mm-hmm. wouldn't have had a problem with it because something Lon explained to me was like look this is a religion I was like oh really he's like yeah this is a religion. And, and in Belfast, when I was living at an oasis, I was like asked to teach there. And I did teach a bit and uh, showed them ritual work and gave them history lectures. And I was like, why is this something? Why don't you have this already happening? They're like, because that's not what we're about. I was like, you're not about teaching magic? They're like, no. The AA adepts there were really cool Irish dudes. And they were like, no, that's not what our organization is. I was like, Jesus, we've been like, we've been grossly misled to, because there was just all this vile, you know, disregard and hatred towards Aleister Crowley and anything to do with the man mm. and we didn't we didn't take a critical look at it and actually see the full story right also a lot of books on Crowley hadn't come out at that point um, we know so much more I mean the esoteric field in the last 20 years has just exploded academically popularly and the orders there's so many orders now you can't even yeah it's it's interesting it. watching it from a from a distance and kind of feeling like the old fogey who's you know like <laughs> like like or or a little bit like al bundy like i i was a big deal in the late 90s a <laughs> little, little bit for a minute <laughs> for, that's right according to a few people <laughs> but you know dude can you like you know um when I, I just did Jason Augustus Newcomb's uh, podcast, which is like a video one, that episode's coming soon. It's, mm. it's focusing on my work in the Celtic mysteries that's, that's coming along nicely, um, despite this COVID, COVID, atus, COVID mm. hiatus. Um, and he, he assumed uh, that, that Tehuti and we were, we were sort of a small order, no one really, um, that without many members. I it was, was like, amazing. Oh, no, that was the opposite of the problem. We had so many members because we didn't really have much of an admission barrier. We certainly didn't have phone call interviews and all these sort of things that you had to go through. I mean, I did because I was 15, but like, yeah, you were an adult, you could send in an application and your initiation fee and show up. And that was, that was, that was good. And if, could you imagine, could you imagine if starting in the late nineties, we had initiated OTO and Thelemic people we would have been so large it would have mm. been stupid it would have been stupid and yeah. like you know oto people can get along fine i think in golden dawn temples as long as they keep their religion to themselves just like everyone else needs to right mm. like you can't you can't be like always talking about jesus if you want to <laughs> like get along in your outer order classes right you know you can't always being like you can't always say oh i don't want to say lord of the universe i want to say triple goddess like well sorry like we wouldn't even 
allow we want uniformity in the temple and this is something i've talked about theoretically as far as the methodology of of the way our magical system works for training our uh, sphere of sensation and astral senses i mean that's something i think that's very interesting about the way the golden dawn went about that in the system but um if you keep that religious point of view and like alistair crowley's your saint according to lon and so if i was like who cares who cares if someone's if someone is is a thelemite and wants to learn ritual magic like there's nothing even in our order there would have been nothing even in our inner order which was uh more on the catholic side still very still you know people we like to emphasize the catholic stuff because we we brought in a lot of the latin but that's just like that's grimoire stuff man like all the all the grimoire workers are doing in chensumisduodate right in asparagus may like they're all doing that quite heavily right right? um so you know the fact that we also had the create you know credo and unum deum patrum omnipotentum like that's just a tiny little addition when people actually then especially in the last couple years have been doing ritual work work with me in europe and in and teaching in america they were always very surprised. They're like, I thought you were a Christian. I'm like, yeah, so I'm a, sort of a Christian um, priest. But um, but then they see me, they're like, well, all the invocations we're doing are for like Horus, Osiris, Isis. And then once in a while, you do, you'll do Azrael. And then like, I was like, yeah, they're like, these are all Egyptian <laughs> you know, gods. Oh, let me reassure Fire. you, I'm doing it in a condescending way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, they are so ultimately like, destroyed by the God of Israel. <laughs> Catch my dress. <laughs> but you know, we yes. we wear them like clothes because they're just flesh bags, like you know, Nathaniel after the Armenians. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, it's just it's so heavily like it's so heavily Egyptian. The five six yeah, initiation, yeah. especially yeah. you can't you couldn't ever convince anyone that that's a Christian ritual. Like mm. if you showed that to like. <laughs> You showed that to a good Catholic churchgoer or a good Anglican or, right. or uh, heaven forbid. But if you show them the whipping and the crucifixion part, like you could convince them that it's some kind of weird Christian cult. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know oh. what you're talking about. Oh, sorry. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Join, join the Golden Dawn. You'll get whipped. Yeah. That actually is probably uh, the, the best advert is, we could ever make. The box was probably one of the best parts. One of the, one of the best, uh, initiations that i mean well, in combination with the bowl. if if initiation occurs through as we say the fires of test and trial whether you're in an order or even heaven forbid struggling with self-initiation mm. i don't think that i think that is the common denominator what do what does the what do the the tetrahedrons the red tetrahedrons atop of the two pillars of yachin and boaz the, the in the hall of two truths what do they symbolize? The fires of test and trial. And whether, no matter what group you're in, the, the key to transformation of your alembic through the mysteries, it surely must be that, right? What's, mm. what's the thing that unites force and form into that ascending middle pillar of consciousness as the serpent winds up our spinal column and explodes in a ball of light above us, connecting us to the infinite and before falling back to earth? That whole alchemical circulation is defined by these red tetrahedrons atop the pillars and we call them the fires of test and trial mm-hmm. so there's no greater test and trial in my uh that i've experienced in a ritual environment other than uh, more than the box yeah um, i mean the process leading up to being invited to an initiation and being told you're ready 
that can be more harrowing. I mean, what you're put mm. through before that should be, should be challenging, should be challenging, just challenging enough to initiate you. Mm. Right. I mean, and I think the old Christian saying like is, is a good um, uh, litmus test for whether or not you're applying too much test and trial to someone. Um, older orders would say oh, all that matters is that you pass the theory exam and then you're ready. It's not our job to gauge your alchemical or spiritual progress. Maybe up to some other orders. Or, yeah. Some other orders like ours are sort of gauging your alchemical progress the whole way along. A right. lot of that I think is due just to logistics. Like in the olden days, if an order was very small and people didn't get to see each other all that much, mm. well, you didn't have much time to really give each other that much spiritual direction or guidance or oversight. Yeah. But if you're in the Alembic at a full-time functioning temple, like some of ours were, and some of us got to experience, well, you can't really separate the alchemy from everything else that's going on. You're going to observe each other. You're going to have people be, you know, who have been through similar struggles. Like, you know, it's not a matter of theory or how much theory I know. If I'm showing up to like Marcel's house at 3 a.m. in tears, going through some massive spiritual crisis brought on by insane amounts of ritual work and theurgy in the temple. Mm -hmm. And then that gets taken into my personal life. And next thing you know is I need to get some advice and I, you can explain what you're going through and you can explain it to someone who's actually then able to say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And then you get to have that conversation and then you get to have that guidance. And that's such a powerful thing mm -hmm. for preparation for initiation but as far as strict things you go through in ceremony yeah nothing's more fucked up than the boss <laughs> i enjoyed it quite a bit i mean i enjoyed it when it was quiet or uh, the, the music was a little obnoxious at times but <clears throat> but uh when once i i could hear everybody talking and laughing in the next room i was a little bit annoyed uh, well and i was i never kind of jealous. i never got that yeah, yeah I was jealous because they were having fun without me, you know, but, uh, but, but yeah, most of the time, I, I don't know. I was just in a, a good place with it, I guess. Yeah. I, I often wonder if, if it spoils it to, to talk about stuff like that, things that, um, you know, like I had no, I didn't know it was coming. So, uh, it I knew it was coming cause I had read the canons and the canons make reference to box time. That you have to do so many hours in the box if you sleep with your students and so on and so forth. And so I, I knew there was a box. That was, was something added years later, brother. Right, that was, right. I, yeah. think, I think they added that because of you. <laughs> no, no, that was my mom's boyfriend. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, Larry. No, I never, I never was, heard of that. He was sleeping with oh, all man. his practicus students. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, there is something, like, I've always been, I don't know, the, the, it's magic and the golden dawn does not handle sexuality very well That's or at all I will yeah. Say about it. yeah yeah or or psychedelics or entheogens at all and to me that makes sense like save that stuff for like a more tight community like the inner order whatever inner order you're joining if you want to get into that stuff that's the choice almost like a classical sphere group because mm. it's not for everyone and you don't want to make it like regulatory pardon me developed that whole gastroesophageal disease which is really really fun um anyway i don't think that um that stuff was was there when i was like i could really see things changing like 
what the, the problems that led to the schism between Canada and America, they did play out. They did play out. They just took so long, mm. so many years to get rid of this sort of despot who was taking advantage of people. Again, most people didn't really encounter that, but those that did were, were quite harmed by it. Right. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. When I went through seminary during the, my imperatorship of Temple Tehuti, and then afterwards as well, then training at a Anglican church as a priest and everything, what I did notice was so much was the same in the church world, in the mm. mainstream church world, but they also had developed a whole ton of ways of dealing with spiritual life in a spiritual community that we really could learn from. So right. there's almost like, I think, this in-between ground between mystery schools and magical orders and mainstream churches that we need to come to mm. for creating spiritual homes for ourselves. I think because that the original the the original Rosicrucians were already monks, like uh, so they that's they the myth yeah they knew well yeah I, or the, the archetype they they knew the rules of Saint Benedict they knew uh, you know how to how to be focused and disciplined and focused on spirituality so if you take someone like that and then introduce them to the mysteries then uh, there's a lot that you don't need to tell them because they already know like. I don't know, something like that. But at the same time, like, and, and I have no training or experience in sex magic whatsoever. And I don't, I don't think you actually have much, no. you know, not from the golden dawn, right? right? You guys didn't get into that. Like, yeah, it's never, never been curriculum. Um, uh, to me, it makes sense that that stuff is there for people to work with who want to work with it and who are with working with people who can work with it. Mm. Right, but it, it's it would be such a tricky thing to regulate, right? Um, for a, not just a large group, but just for people who, oh my god, it's just so. I mean, sex is personal, right? I mean, right. so there's, there's a lot of, of organizations. Uh, when I was yeah, teaching at ISIS Oasis Retreat Center in California, I mean, there was this group called the Human Awareness Institute, and we weren't allowed to go in the huge temple, um, about a little bit smaller actually than Temple of ISIS, you know, in mm. LA and a bit bigger than Temple Tehuti, that the big temple there was actually built by the Baha'i as their mm. first temple in North America when they came to North America to escape persecution. And we weren't allowed in. And the sounds that came out of there, like it was definitely a hundred people doing experimental sexual mm. work with each other. And they'd come down to the pavilion to have dinner and lunch and stuff. And some of them would barely be dressed, just wearing like a little loincloth and laughing. No, oh, and the, it's, they're not Baha'i though. It was built by the No, Baha'i. this was Human Awareness Institute. Oh, okay, and it's okay. actually run, it's run, I believe, by the daughter or niece of Alan Watts and all mm. based on his teachings. Oh, so how it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love like, some Alan Watts. Their application form asks like, do you have any the open sores on the outside of your body stuff like that because mm. they get into it as far as i know that would be an, really interesting for to hear more about that sort of stuff but huh. you didn't get to to glimpse inside of that and I, there are large groups of people i think exploring that kind of stuff in the in the spiritual world especially in the sort of hybrid middle ground between yoga and eastern mysticism and then western techniques there's a lot of schools and movements now that deal with sort of an integration of east and west techniques i mean the mm. golden dawn was an integration of east and west techniques anyway as we as we well know i was just There's talking that with a japanese cult that was uh poisoning what, what were they doing something blowing blowing up bombs in a subway they were all about 
combining East and West. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I did, that's, what are you talking about? The, the old Japanese, yeah, Japanese yeah. cult. Yeah, yeah. They they were they had like Christianity and Vajrayana side by side, and then let's blow up subways. It's weird. Oh wow. Yeah, you can do anything you want when you're a cult leader. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I'm gonna plug apparently. this in here and then turn it upside down and quote, you know. Uh, Oh, why is it escaping me? What's that book of the Bible with all the rules? Leviticus. I'm going to quote Leviticus a lot and, uh, and talk about Joshua knocking down the walls of Jericho. And when, you know, like, poor people imagine being at the grocery store in Jericho. Right. And then like all these hill tribes calling themselves the 12 after the planets and, you know, show up and are like, yo, you're all dead. <laughs> Like, yeah. talk about some sort of paramilitary invasion of hill tribes. Uh, yeah, that yeah. stuff was definitely written by written by the victors. Right. Yeah the <laughs> the uh, the whole tower card initiation is kind of. The, was but the, yeah, back to an initiation. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. The the struggle, like, so one of the things I'm people i talk with a lot with about people and again this is all your fault that i'm doing this i blame you <laughs> entirely and i say this regularly as i go to lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul will keep if i should die before i wake i know it's edward's soul i blame <laughs> <laughs> um because a lot of people a lot of people are doing these rituals like i have i have independent students that are like they're getting up every day and doing the lbrp the middle pillar, the BRH with analysis of the keyword. Then they're doing it like an SIRP and then they're doing like some other advanced working. And I'm just like, holy shit, like you're really seriously doing this. So it must be giving things to you in your life. Like you must be getting stuff out of it. And they're like, hell yeah. I'm like, mm. well, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then the question for me is, how can I help you get more? Or what can I help you get at all? One of the things I think that, that will happen at which happened to me doing the Donald Michael Craig system before I joined the order was I kept hitting these walls because it was like there was a mixture of things that I was missing and not actually uh, doing steps. Like you, I didn't think that learning the Hebrew alphabet was an important step. That, that's wrong, mm. right? Um, there's other rituals I think you might take less seriously like meditation one which may not be the best ritual in the world, but it's basically transcendental meditation via the cloud of unknowing with a bit of extra stuff that you can actually see written out even clearer form by Franz Barden in his Dev Eggsumbach and Adeptin, the Initiation into Hermetics, most mistranslated title of hi in history. So like all of these things are quite similar and people who are doing it independently outside of an initiatory, like there's a big difference when you don't have the initiation to initiate you into the symbolism of the rituals you're then going to use, right? Like by names and images are all powers awakened and reawakened. But if you're not introduced to those names and images, you have to sort of create them for yourselves because you don't have this right. momentous event that defines what they mean to you. And then a group of people to all explain what they meant to them, what they went through, and then you will study it together while recreating it in micro forms through doing various rituals and ceremonies all the time. Yeah. So a big question for me is, and how can I help people get the most of these traditions and even perhaps self-initiate? Well, no self-initiation is gonna be like an order initiation. That's just a fact, right? Mm. 
but I believe that there is still the same kind of spiritual progress doing it yourself. And I'm sort of and, curious and there's what less, you think about that. Well, the, I mean, on one hand, there's more danger of uh, misunderstanding something or getting in the habit of doing something incorrectly, but there's also no risk whatsoever of the interpersonal or political or hierarchical bullshit that one often finds in, uh, in cults. So it's kind of like a take, take it or leave it. Like if somebody really doesn't want that dynamic or they, they don't want to enter into that weird group think, you know, thing, then self-initiation is the way. But if somebody wants accuracy, you know, like if, the, if they're just like, they want the best possible, you know, version of, of, of the training, then they would probably want to join and go through all the grades of each of the main four or five orders or something like that. Like then there's people like that, you know, they, I've seen, seen people like that, you know, but uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's the personality, it's personal choice or, you know, what, what people can, can handle. Thank you, very honored Frater RC, for being my guest today on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast, even as I was your guest on the Magic Without Fears podcast. Special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofuku Inn Temple on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now. Special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the Game of Thrones intro and outro to the interview. And special thanks to Brian Dahl, that's B-R-Y-I-N-D-A-L-L, because um, I think uh, we'll end this episode with one of his performances of Golden Dawn Magic. The opening by Watchtower. Stay tuned as part two of this two-part conversation with Fred or RC will air in the next few days. We'll close with some Brian Dahl. Thank you all for tuning in, and uh, talk to you soon. Good night.
Let every spirit of the firmament and of the ether Upon the earth and under the earth On dry land and in the water Of whirling air and of rushing fire And every spell and scourge of God The vast one may be obedient unto me 